Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Recap very fast from last week, and then we'll go into this this week. Uh, but we've covered so far in this six weeks, this is our sixth week on the church. And we have, you know, we covered the we are the church. That was the big thing here. We are the church. We are the living testimony of Jesus on the earth. Right? So it's important that we take our job seriously because for many people, if we don't show them who Jesus is, who will? Right? So we are the living testimony for Jesus. A lot of people are going to learn who he is and what he's like by the way we live. And we've covered that and also then in the importance. So if we're going to do that, we covered then the importance of Jesus being the functional Lord of our life and how we need to be empowered and become the fullness of God through his Holy Spirit. And then, obviously, we've been talking lots of the last couple of weeks about everyone's a member, everyone is a minister in their own place. And that's what I was just referencing there with those two examples. Um, so this week, we're going to move from actions and reactions. We're going to start moving towards discipleship. And I recognize we only have one uh, message, or I only have one more to talk about this. And this message alone, I could, I could take a, another little mini-series on, uh, but I'll, I'll do my best to introduce it today and to give some practical things on how do we engage the Great Commission? How do we, wherever we are, how can we engage in that and how can we understand it better? So let's pray and then we'll begin unpacking that. Lord, again, before we start going through the, the message, we just want to quiet and be still before you. Everything is about you. This is all about you. Learning about the church, you left here and you said it was better that you would go. You were going to send your spirit to us and you left us with the church, your body. And so, Lord, we're just seeking to understand this better so that we can, so that we can offer up a sacrifice to you, worship with the way we live, so that we can be used and partner with you in advancing your kingdom here on the earth. Today, Lord, we are here to glorify your name and to worship you and to meet with you and to enjoy the fellowship of each other. And we ask, Lord, that you would be present in this place, that you would lead us and guide us through the word and through what's spoken today so that it would impact our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So last week, we were finishing off with uh, the fruit of the Spirit and love being action words, right? And uh, what we did is we took the fruit of the Spirit and we just looked at those as though they were verbs, right? If we were joy bringers, if we were peacemakers, if we were people who loved in action, patient endurers, and so on and so forth. So I wanted to pick up right there. And before we get into discipleship and talking about how we disciple people, I, I actually just wanted to make sure we don't uh, pendulum swing. Uh, because human nature, whenever we teach something that's maybe a little bit different than what we thought we knew, then we swing. And often we swing too far to the other side and it can lead to, to unhealthy places. So I thought I'll just quickly bring some balancing statements to help us stay right in the middle in the green, if that makes sense. So when we're talking about actions, right? So these are things we do. It's liberating because then you, you'd say, oh, okay, I can, okay, so if I'm anxious, I can still be a peacemaker. Even if I'm going through a stressful time right now, I can still work for peace. That's a liberating message. And, and it, it's encouraging to us that we can partner with God in that way and partner in advancing his kingdom. 
Um, but what that can turn to is suddenly we start judging ourselves by our works and we can judge others by their works. And so there's two things uh, that I want to cover quickly. And the first one is doing the right thing. So when we talk about the, the you know, joy and peace is there ever a time that believers are supposed to feel that? Because Scripture seems to talk about in your presence is fullness of joy. And so there is the side of, there is joy and peace that we are supposed to experience and that we are supposed to feel. Absolutely yes. But we don't just want to, we don't want to gauge our godliness on our feeling happy all the time or feeling the feeling of peace all the time, but we want to engage in our fruit. So it's the both ends. So a way to think about this would be, look at a biblical command. One of them would be, be thankful in all circumstances. Talk about a big high calling, right? Be thankful in all circumstances. He doesn't say, feel grateful in all circumstances, but he does say, be thankful in all circumstances. So that is a call that we have. And what we find is, and science will agree with this too, but even just human experience, those that take that call or command seriously and apply it to their lives, they begin to plant seeds and they grow and bear fruits of gratitude. They begin to feel more grateful. They begin to feel more content. They begin to feel more joy. People that practice being thankful in all circumstances, it changes your chemistry. So it's important that we see it's not just actions, it's not just feelings, it's both, but our feelings often follow actions. And so you see that with gratitude, but we could take anxiety as another one. Uh, I like to pick on anxiety just because I've had anxiety, and I understand it. I've, I've made the joke that it's too close a friend of mine. I'd like to, to cut that relationship off a little bit more. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> maybe one day, well, there will be one day in heaven where I'm going to cut that relationship off permanently. Until then, though, it's important to know that feeling of anxiety, I can reinforce it or I can take away from it. If I follow Philippians 4, which says, practice, right, what you've seen and heard me, and that is focusing on what is pure and noble and excellent and praiseworthy and worthy of praise, like Jesus. So if I take my focus and put it onto him, I will begin to experience more peace over my anxiety. However, if in my anxiety I overfunction and begin just picking up more and more things and doing, 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 what I will actually do is I will grow more of a feeling of anxiety in my life. And so you see how that works. Your actions and feelings are intertwined. So I just want to make sure we get that from last week's message. Yes, peacemaker. Yes, absolutely. But it isn't, I'm not saying that you shouldn't feel peace ever. You should. As you get to know the Lord more and as you spend more time in his presence and as you follow him, in obedience, you will experience more peace as well. So that's important. Uh, the other thing I wanted to cover is two kinds of righteousness. And this is just to make sure we don't get into a works salvation. I would hate for someone to be watching me every moment of my life and to say, well, in that conflict, you weren't really being a peacemaker, so I don't even know if you're saved. Let's not do that. Let's not go down that road, not with ourselves and not with others. And so we're going to look at two kinds of righteousness very quick here, horizontal and vertical. And, that, and the, we're going to start with vertical righteousness. Vertical righteousness is up and down. This is the righteousness I received from Jesus. At the end of this message, we're going to celebrate. I was, last week I said the end of the church. No, we're going to celebrate the end of this series by taking communion together. And what are we remembering? Vertical righteousness. What he did for us that we couldn't do, he saved us. He paid the penalty on our life, right? That is vertical righteousness. I am covered with the righteousness of God 
so I can be declared righteous before the Father and be saved for eternity. That is the only way to salvation. There is no like being a good peacemaker and just being better and better at bringing joy and being, enduring suffering. If I do all of that and miss this, I'm still not saved. Make sense? Vertical righteousness. I am saved because of Jesus. His righteousness. I can't earn that. I can't work that up. I can't equal that. There's nothing I can do to equal that. So, what's the other kind of righteousness? Horizontal righteousness. And this refers to our works. This is our own right living. And uh, uh, Pastor Chris, I believe, talked about this in the Heaven series a bit. And when talking about eternal rewards. And so did Pastor Ray in, our, in his uh, character series a couple of years ago. Talked about how our character, our works, is actually for our eternal rewards. And so I thought I would add two things that our righteousness, the horizontal righteousness, is for. It's, and, and note that neither of those are for salvation. Salvation, justification comes from God alone. Sanctification, that's a process we're in. That's our righteousness. Now we're talking about it's for our neighbor. So my works are for you. Your works are for me and for those that are around me. Right? We talked about being the living testimony of Jesus. I want to bear the fruits of the Spirit. Why? Because I want to show the world who Jesus is. I want to show them what Jesus is like. Right? We're that testimony. So that is for my neighbor. But as I do that, I am also storing up for myself eternal rewards. So my actions here on this earth are giving me rewards in heaven. But the best part about this is we can realize that our righteousness is always going to be woefully short of the, of the cost needed to be saved. And there is wonderful grace. This is where I say on, on number two here, the horizontal righteousness, your direction is far more important than perfection. I'm not minimizing seeking or shooting for perfection. Absolutely, yes, we should have a high standard. High moral excellence should be our goal. But direction in our lives is far more important than reaching that perfection because we all sin, we all fall short, and no one hits that standard. No one. So it's about how we pick ourselves back up and how we keep going and making sure that the direction of our life is going in the right place. First Peter 4.8 says, Above all, love earnestly, for love covers a multitude of sins. And so you see that our works like that, that's going out way. So we are ultimately, though, saved by grace through faith, no other way. All right, that's finishing up from last week, just making sure we don't swing like a pendulum. Now we're going to try to stay in the middle, right? We're going to do good works, and we're going to be peacemakers. We're going to be patient endurers. We're going to love in action. Absolutely, yes. And as we do that, we will experience more hope. Uh, Romans 15, 13 talks about, may the, God of all joy and hope, uh, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope. Hope is one thing we should abound in as believers. Because no matter what we go through here on this earth, we are living for another place. Our eternal home is yet to come. And so we have hope. We have hope. All right. Let's talk about discipleship now. Uh, go therefore. This is what we're going to focus the rest of this message on, other than communion. Uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And I love that last part. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Brilliant. So this is the Great Commission, and this is what we're going to focus on now. So this is, I mean, I think a lot of us, when we look at this, we have different understandings or meanings for what it means to make disciples of all the nations. Some will say, well, that's our call to evangelize. We're supposed to go door to door. 
And others just get overwhelmed because they're like teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And we look at the Bible and we say, there's a lot of stuff in here. I don't even know where to begin. So where do I even start with, with, with this? And others don't engage at all. And then others do engage, <laughs> right? We have all sorts of people in this church that engage in this call to discipleship. But before we start looking at how it looks in the church, I wanted to look at understanding discipleship just as what does the term mean? And I want to demystify it a bit so you could start to see that we all actually already do this already. So dictionary.com, I got this, uh, disi- I got this definition from there. Um, a person, a, a, a disciple is, excuse me, a person who is a pupil or adherent to the doctrines of another. Uh, a, another word synonymous with that would be a, a student. A student is a disciple, uh, one who embraces and assists in spreading the teaching of another. So you can see now it's beyond student, but it's actually student and teacher carrying on principles. Well, that's good. And then also any follower of another person. Any follower of another person. Now, interesting with that, so that's how dictionary.com defines discipleship, and that is very similar to how the Bible would define it, other than we add one thing. We don't just adhere, we don't just learn and teach, we actually live by. We adhere, which is kind of in there already, but we live by the principles that we are following in Jesus Christ. Jesus' first and last command to his disciples was to follow him. Isn't that interesting? That's his first and last command, right? In Mark, uh, Mark 1.17 and John 21.20 is come follow me and come follow me. So follow me. Being a disciple is the, the high call of all of us. So this is what I want to cover with this. First, we all make disciples already because I know we're looking at this. Well, how do we make disciples? The first thing you have to understand when making disciples is that you're already doing it. All of you. You're already doing it. We may not be doing it to the same level, and we may not make, be making disciples of the same thing, but we all make disciples. We do it naturally with our friends, our families, our coworkers, people that we meet. We always do. What are we talking about with different people? We talk about what's important, our values, our opinions. What isn't important? What is important? Right? What is, what is God-like? Think about that. You are already discipling people around you in who is God and what is he like simply by being you and saying you're a Christian. We all disciple people. Isn't that something to chew on? That's something to chew on. What are we discipling them in? Right? We are discipling people in the value of people, the value of things. Where does everything rank? What's more important, God or money? It's not what we say. It's what we do. There's There is something, our life story is not just giving a testimony off, but it's actually discipling people into what is and what isn't important. And the second part of this, because remember our mission statement, be discipled, make disciples. And the second part is that whole being discipled, you are already submitting to this process. We do it whether we want to to admit it or not, it's happening. We have all been discipled by many different people. And we're probably currently being discipled by someone or something. And the question would be, what is discipling us? What is leading our hearts? What are we following? What are those values, those passions, those things that are important to us that we are following and we are becoming like them? And whatever those are, that's going to be a big thing that we are discipling others in, whether we're doing it knowingly or not. And this is a very important thing for us to understand. And this is why we have Romans 12 that teaches us, 
do not be conformed to this world because naturally you will become a disciple of the world, naturally. You will be like everybody else in your circle. You will be like the community group that is around you. We will sound the same. We will talk the same. We will value the same things. We will even probably wear similar clothing. <laughs> although some of you were saying you wouldn't wear this jacket, although it's amazing. It would probably look good on all of you. <laughs> I like it. Isn't it great? Anyways, that's moving on. I'm discipling you there. Look at that. See? See how easy that is? <laughs> that's discipleship. So that's important for us to understand because I don't want us, sometimes we look at the call to disciple and we're like, well, I just could never do that. It's important for us to understand you are already doing that. That whole idea of being discipled. Oh, I don't like the idea that you guys, it's always, you know, you're trying to disciple us in something. We have to do something. Well, you should understand you're already in that process. You're already there. So what we're trying to get at, what I'm trying to get at here is, are we being intentional in what we're allowing ourselves to be discipled in? And are we being intentional on what we are discipling others in? Because the call in our lives is to be discipled, to be disciples of Jesus and to disciple other people towards him. And if we don't take that intentionally, we will naturally become disciples of the world, and we will naturally disciple people towards ourselves. And that will just happen whether we like it or not. So how does that process work? Like, so how does it work? How, how is it that we're all being discipled and we're all discipling others? Well, we're going to look at the process of discipleship. So making disciples, this is how it happens. So the, uh, we're going to look at three steps. And if you're a cell leader here, you've already heard me talk about this. And if you uh, have gone through the way or if you've been in church renewal, this is a model that we've used there for years uh, already that Pastor Ray developed. But I love it because it really helps you understand how making disciples works. So the first thing is we teach. This is the first, first component. There's three components in discipleship and each bear a different level of fruit. The first component is we teach. We teach information. And this is, I tell you, or, or <laughs> I tell you, it sounds bad. I'm trying to tell you this morning what you should know. I'm passing on knowledge and I'm saying, this is what I think you guys should know in order for us to be the church the way the Bible defines. That's what I'm trying to do. But we do this in lots of areas in life, right? We try to pass on knowledge. I learned something. I think you should know this. I think you should know how to operate the TV and how the stereo works. We have that at my parents' house. I get calls for that sometimes, right? How do you get this to work? And I think, Lou, you just received a call like that. What are you passing on their knowledge? I think you should know this so you can make it work. Knowledge. Is knowledge bad? Absolutely not. Knowledge helps. But when we see knowledge as the be-all, end-all, we fail to see real discipleship and real transformation. So there's some fruit. Paul acknowledges the limitations of knowledge in Romans 7. Now, that's not exclusively what he's talking about, but he talks about how he received the law, so he learned the law, and the law showed him what is good and what is bad. It showed him morality. And he talks about how he agreed with the law, that the law is good, but there was a problem because now he knew what was morally right and wrong, but he didn't have the power to go and live that way. And so he's in despair. He's in despair and he's, and he's writing and he's saying, I know what I ought to do, but I don't do it. And then I know what I ought not to do, but I do that. And he's frustrated at this whole process and there you're hearing the frustration in those words. You are hearing the limitations of knowledge alone. 
And that's an important thing for us to understand. And that's something that we see in churches, absolutely, yes, but we see that in lots of areas. When all you have is knowledge, it's limited. Um, when I worked at Steinbeck Dodge, I was a service advisor there for a number of years. And there's a skill that I learned that I still probably possess to a degree, and that is I would have the ability, if we would break down on the side of the road, uh, I, could, I could probably, within a degree of accuracy, tell you, I mean, depending on what happened, but I could tell you probably what's wrong. You know what the problem is? I couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing. Larry's laughing. He could do something about it. I couldn't. I couldn't. And, and it was, you know, after working there for many years, you end up hearing cause and effect so many times, right? This is what I heard. This is what happened. And you're like, oh, I know what that is. But if they would ever ask me, well, could you show that to me on my vehicle? I couldn't even do that. I could tell you what a part is and what it does when it doesn't work, but I couldn't tell you where it is or how to get it there. Funny, right? It's useless information, but it's not totally useless. For my job, it was helpful information. Um, but if I ever was stuck on the side of the road, it was completely useless. Because I would just affirm with technical words that we actually are stuck on the side of the road. <laughs> but what should we do? I don't know. That's the limitations of knowledge. So it's, it's something, right? It's something It would tell me what I need to grow and what I need to get or what I need to have happen. But it still isn't everything. And you can see the limitations. Um, same with how about you're a, a mom, and it could be a dad, uh, and you're telling your kids the benefits of calming down, of quieting. Oh, quieting is such a good thing, isn't it? So maybe you want to tell your kids the benefits of quieting when they're angry and anxious. And you are so passionate about those benefits, you may even want to yell it at them. Would you just calm down already? It never happens. I'm looking at my kids. No, never happens. <laughs> never has happened in the history of the Dirksen home. Of course, that's information. And how good is that information? Do you ever see that working? Right? When you, in an angry voice, you're going to tell someone again, you realize the words, though true, aren't enough to actually bring the fruit that you so desire. And, you know, knowledge alone, another limitation. Think about devotions. That's a great example. I mean, I could talk to almost any believer and I get the same list of things that we need to grow in. I mean, it seems like we all feel the same thing. I need to read the Bible more, pray more, watch less TV, lose a little bit of weight. Don't know how they got that in the Bible, but, and exercise more. <laughs> Seriously, it's surprising how many people have the same list uh, in spiritual formation. And I think, you know what we're missing from there? I need to love people more. I need to love God more. I need, right? I think that's sometimes a missing element of, right, taking some of this. I need to bear the fruit of the Spirit more. But anyhow, let's stick with that list. Most people already know what they need or want to do. The limits of, of knowledge. That's why I always say, don't tell an addict to stop doing it. Yeah, they probably know that. Maybe there's a place for it. But simply saying, stop it, isn't enough. Show me how to do that. I want to already. Show me how to do that. And the same with devotions. We know, okay, you should be spending regular time in, the prayer, in prayer and the Word. I'll repeat that. You should. I believe it. I live it. I think you should live it. And I know many of you do live it. But you can see teaching alone at a level isn't enough, right? So what do we need? We need the next level. We train what we do. So you teach knowledge, you, te you, you pass on information of what people should know, but you train what you do. These are practices. This is now taking what you know and it's making it practical. This is what I was missing at Steinbeck Dodge. Any type of practical ability to do anything. <laughs> Funny story, when I got hired there, I won't give you the whole story, but 
sitting with Dean Pollard, and uh, I feel very ashamed because I was a drug dealer before and I hadn't really had a job and it was a terrible transition over. Awesome story of the Lord, I won't, I won't go into all of it now, but anyhow, I'm sitting there feeling very underqualified and inadequate, already embarrassed, and he asks, so what do you know about cars? I'm looking down, nothing. He says, well, like, you must know something, like, can you, like, change your oil, do that kind of stuff? I'm shaking my head, turning beet red. Nope. And then I'm like, you might as well just be honest. I don't even use self-serve because I'm afraid of putting the wrong fuel in. <laughs> oh, you guys are gentle. <laughs> I'm being serious. I actually said that, and I actually meant it. I only went to full serve. I would miss anything that was self-serve only. I'm like, uh-oh, what if I get it wrong? And I didn't know. You're like, how do you not know? I didn't know. It's useless. Anyhow, he gave me the job. <laughs> and you say prayer doesn't work? <laughs> I'm a living testimony of that. Anyways, um, but you train practices. So now let's go to the devotions. We just talked about that. Here is where we have like uh, an abide journal. An abide journal is practices. It's, it's tools that have practices on there. And when we show, them, show you how to do it, this is how you hear God. The hearing God does that. Does that make sense? Now we're taking a command, but we're, com we're combining it with practices that we have done and used that have been shown to have success. So now we show you how to do it. This is how you journal. Oh, okay, that's th that makes sense. This is how you read the Word. These are the things you should be looking for, and so on and so forth. That is training practices. At this stage with that parent, you know, that's yelling, <laughs> telling their kids to calm down, at this stage, you're not just telling them to calm down. You have actually learned to calm yourself down. Great idea. So now you are getting upset and you want to just yell at them and say, calm down already. So what do you do? You go like this and you go, can we try that again, kids? Let's do a redo. So you calm down and now you show them how to do it in a different way. You're not telling them to do something you haven't been able to do yourself. You are now training something that you do. You may not get it right all the time, but now this is something that you have done. You can show someone else how to do it because you've done it. Okay, so this is very, very important. Uh, we, we have to learn this. This is kind of how it works throughout everything in life. And then we have, we disciple who we are. And this comes out of modeling. And this is the part I was getting at before. Remember I said, we all already disciple people. And we're already in a process of being discipled, whether we like it or not. Whether we want to admit it or not. And this is where, I'm kept, where, where it comes down to, uh, because our modeling... You see, we're all being influenced by the things that are going on around us. And a lot of this, this is the fascinating part, a lot of this is actually more, like it's, it's caught over taught. And you know, we talk about, it's not about what you say, it's what you what? Do, right? You hear words like, it's actions are more powerful than words. <laughs> yeah. It all comes down to this level. This is where most discipleship happens. I'm not saying that the other two don't carry value. They do carry value, and, and you need them. But many churches, many churches have been stunted because we can preach from the Word, and the Word has everything we need, right? And we can preach from the Word and never see any transformation or change in a believer's life. It can happen if we leave it at knowledge alone. We have to be transformed from the inside out. So here, this is where you see the most fruit. 
right? You have some fruit at the top, more fruit, and then you have the absolute most fruit. And this is where we begin to live out of who we are. And this is where you will pass on who you are. You go to families, and we, regardless of what we teach our kids, they often end up becoming little disciples of us, right? So, you know, you think about how do we deal with stress in our home? Well, we are, we're Christians, so we deal with it by going to God in prayer, and we deal with it, right? That's what we do. Or do we deal with it by going on to our devices? Do we deal with it by eating? There's lots of different ways we can deal with stress. Because the truth is, regardless of what we say we do, what we actually do is what we're really passing on to the next generation. And that is true in churches as well. That's something Pastor Ray has talked about lots in church renewal on that side. But we've been passionate about that here for, for years. And that is, if you want to raise up people of prayer, the very, very first step by far before learning, you know, taking the hearing God and, okay, how did you get your, this is often a question, how do you get your, the church to do the prayer summit like that? How do you do that? And maybe we just take the model and we just apply it, right? Like that's kind of thinking one and two level. And what we always say there to other pastors is we point them back to, if you want to raise up people of prayer, the very first step is you have to become a person of prayer. You become a person of prayer. If I become a person of prayer, the chances are I am going to raise up people of prayer. My sister and brother-in-law, Lance and Julie, are great examples of this, by the way. They don't know I'm going to say this, but those are people of prayer. And those kids, this week, I was, I was stressed out. That happens to me, okay? I'm just a normal, regular person. I got stressed out. My wife told on me, I guess, she was passing it on to different people and it spread. And I had multiple people praying for me and it was awesome. I love that. Anyways, the point is, my sister, Julie, and Lance, anyhow, they're praying with little kids, and the little kids are sending me words that were bang on exactly what I was getting in my journal that morning. They're raising up little kids, people of prayer. That's not what every family does, and it doesn't have to look exactly the same. But the reason is because it's not even like they're making them do it all the time. It is, that's just how they live. Their values are being transferred on to that next generation because Julie and Lance are people of prayer. Does that make sense? If I'm people of media, I'll pass on, I'll, I'll raise up people of media. And I'm not saying all media is bad. I'm not saying that we only have to, you know, read the Bible and pray all the time. That's all we do. No, you live regular stuff, but you do it for the glory of God. And you teach and you use what you have. This is just important for us to understand whether, you know, whether we like it or not. This third level is the most effective level. And that's why, you know, you look at that, that parent. Again, if we go back to that angry, anxious parent. The very best thing you can do for your kids in emotional regulation is actually learn to, be, learn to regulate yourself to the point of not where you have to disengage, recover, and start over and redo, but if you actually practice it yourself to a place where you are able to, in the moment, calm yourself down and regulate, you become a parent that can do that. And you will find you're able to pass that skill on to your kids much easier. Right? That's where you will see the most fruit. And I'm not saying it's the only way and it's a guaranteed way. There is no guaranteed ways in this world. But I'm just, we're talking about small, some fruit to more fruit. We're talking about that gauge. 
And to get more fruit, you have to make it a part of your life. Devotions are the same thing. A person of prayer, a person of the word. Um, Show me someone who is raising up people who love the word, love prayer, and I will show you someone who they themselves love the word and love prayer. Right? Whatever that might be. Show me someone who raises up people who are just, oh, they just love people and they gush for creating community. Well, I'll show you someone who lives that themselves. And we, we could give many, 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 many examples for this, but this is just how it works. Anyhow, um, this is why, again, who we are is the best for discipleship. This is why people who are going through grief, who do they often want us to talk to? Someone who's been through grief. You've been through grief. It has marked you. You've been through it. And now that, that is someone that can actually help you in that area. Same with things like forgiveness or addiction, all that kind of stuff. Someone who has walked through it before, who has been there before, we intuitively seem to know those are the people we want to hear from because they're the ones that offer the same help, even if they're saying the same things. They might say the same things or recommend the same things, but there's a heart transference that is different that seems to work better. You know, take a look at this, uh, 2 Corinthians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. And I, I love this passage because he's talking about... Now, if, if you, I'll just skip to the end here for the sake of time. Um, Paul is getting at here, if you, if you go and read the God of all comfort, this whole passage, he actually uses terminology like this. He says, we were so overwhelmed and despaired, or sorry, so overwhelmed that we despaired of life itself. Think about that. Think about being in a place, maybe you're there right now, maybe you've been there. I've been there. I'm not there right now. Where you were so overwhelmed that you despaired of life itself. We think that's an awful place to be in. Absolutely it is. And yet Paul says it was good that he was there. Because he was there, he was able to receive comfort from God there. And now, because he received it in his moment of affliction, he is able to give it to others in their affliction. See, Paul knew how to connect with God in his affliction. He knew how to receive comfort. The person that is beside you, they may not know how to receive comfort in their affliction. And now you can be a light. But what qualified him to bring that comfort wasn't just knowing Jesus. It was knowing Jesus in the fire. You ever thought that maybe just on a side note, this is not my point here, but you ever thought on a side note that there may be purpose for your pain beyond just what you're directly learning in and through it that's affecting you? That God may want to use the hard thing that you are going through to be a blessing to someone that you're going to meet or someone that's in your life already. There is so much hope and redemption in a message like that. The Lord has brought me there before where I have told him in tears, If it's for your kingdom, then I'll go through more of the fire. If it means I can love you more and love people more, then I say yes to more pain. Not that we only stay in pain. There's lots of hope and joy and peace and all that stuff. Yes, absolutely. But there's purpose in it. Why? Because it changes you. And when you've been changed, it gives you an authority and an ability to go and impact others for the kingdom. And I think that's wonderful. So that's 
Going back there just very, very fast. Yeah, look at those three. Teach, that was really long. I should have just made an extra slide. Teach information, knowledge. Train what you do, disciple who you are. The very, very best disciplers do all three of these. They teach what you need to know, they show you good practices and how to do it, and they live it themselves. They do it. Not per perfectly, because no one does it perfectly. But that is the best disciplers. And if we're wanting to disciple our kids, if we're wanting to disciple our neighbor, ourselves, this is the way that we'll do it. We have to combine all three. So the hardest one, because we can help you with information and practices, the hardest one is number three. That's the one that will take the most work on your part and my part. <laughs> and it's a lifelong process. It's not, no one gets there overnight. And no one gets there ever in this lifetime. We're just all in process in this lifetime. Okay, so now let's look at what are the core Christian things that we need to disciple people in, right? So we kind of know how it, how it looks. So we'll look at the core things we need to be discipled in and then some basic steps that we can take starting today if we want in going and being, a disciple, being discipled intentionally and then making disciples of others, okay? And then we'll have communion. All right. Core the Christian discipleship. This is the discipleship spectrum. I put five things on there. Yeah, that's five. Uh, just have to count. Everything coached under love God, love people. The spectrum of discipleship where we, are, where we are being discipled and we are discipling others. And I'm not, this is not an exhaustive list. I very intentionally made it a minimized list so that we don't get overwhelmed by looking at the whole Bible and saying, I got to teach people everything and I got to be the best apologist and how to defend and I don't understand this doctrine. No, 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 I'm going to simplify it here and just say, these are the five main things that we need to be discipled in. And maybe I missed one, but these are for sure five things <laughs> that we need to be discipled in and that we, are, we can engage in the, in the process of discipling others in. And the first one is salvation. Remember, you have to receive something in order to give it off. So this one here, if you're a believer here today, you can already begin discipling people here if you, if you choose, right? Because you've received something. You know the way. You know the way. So you can now pass that one on. But that is just the beginning of discipleship. Discipleship, Christian discipleship is a lifelong process. And you cannot separate being a disciple from being a disciple maker because that's what he calls us to be. And if we're Jesus' disciple, we will naturally become a disciple maker just how it works. But it starts with salvation. Then we move on to things like abiding, the word and prayer. We know God. We love God. We serve God and we obey God. That came from a message Pastor Chris spoke a number of years ago, but I love that, right? So we teach people that, to know God, to love God, to serve God, to obey God. Absolutely, yes. And we have tools to help you with that here, right? We have, we just really, I mean, we have abide journals. We have those foundations, we have the Hearing God. We just released on the resource page, The Way, Abide in Christ, which has taken a lot of the work that Pastor Ray has been doing with pastors for many years, but in a simplified form for just everyday saints that can apply to all of us. And you can take it in small bite-sized chunks. Maybe you're past that. You already know how to do that one. So you go on to a different area. Maybe that's an area you need to grow. So you start there. You're right? You go there and you kind of start. These are the areas, Holy Spirit empowerment and the, and the gifts. Absolutely, that's a fundamental area. Remember, fruit of the Spirit. Those fruits that we want to bear, you will not do apart from the Holy Spirit filling and controlling you. And then you have freedom in Christ. We all need that. All of us. All of us need to know it. Uh, set free, repentance, confession, accountability, inner healing, forgiveness. We've talked lots about that. 
and obviously grow character, and that's our actions and reactions. We talked about that last week. We need to grow character, Christ-like character, so that we can better portray who he is to others. Absolutely, yes. So, this is the list, okay? This is the list, and this is where we can even start personally. And you can ask that question, like, where is something that I need to grow in? And that's where I'll close this portion of the message. So, let's take be discipled, make disciples, and just simple three steps. How can I do this starting today? The first thing is, be, be discipled. I do. So the three steps are I do, we do, you do. And I'll put them up there in just a moment. But the first one, I do. This is the first part of making disciples. Before I show you what to do, I need to do it. By the way, parents, if you would embrace this idea for even how you raise up your kids, you would have a much easier time parenting your kids. Jesus modeled this. He doesn't ask us to do anything that he doesn't first do. Right? He says, pick up your cross and follow me as he picked up his cross and, and went to the cross, right? So he does. He, he says, resist temptation and don't compromise. He resists temptation and doesn't compromise. He says, only do what you see me doing. He only did what he saw the Father doing, right? So I do. The first step to making disciples is be a disciple. You do. So pick something from that, from that list I just showed you. What is the area you need to grow in? So you pick that and you begin to embrace these things, right? You pick an area to learn, practice, and grow. You learn, practice, and grow. And by the way, if you're overwhelmed again by, oh, being discipled, I have to do something. Remember, you're already doing this. With something in your life, I'm just saying we need to be doing it with our Christian formation as well. That's all I'm advocating for. We are already in this process. Okay, pick an area, learn, and grow. If it's an area where you're way out of your depth, I understand that. Sometimes it's like, okay, I want to learn how to hear God, but I actually don't even know where to start. You might need to actually get a mentor, find someone who already knows how to do that, and then learn from them. You can learn from them. Absolutely. That's a wonderful idea. You can also do this in your cell. Maybe your cell leader or maybe others in your cell know how to do that. Certainly. So you can get help with the I do step. You don't have to do it alone. Once you have started on the journey, and this does not have to take very long, in fact, I, I think sometimes our problem is we think the I do part is like a 20-year journey before I can give to someone else. That stunts your growth. It totally will stunt your growth. At some point, you got to move and you got to get to we do. Now you're a disciple maker. We do. And this is not like you have to stand up and teach like this and prepare notes in order to be a disciple maker. No, 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 no. You do not have to do that. Okay, cell leaders. I've told them this before. So your, your group doesn't no one seems to be doing their devotions. And the first question I always ask is, are you doing your devotions? Sometimes not. Sometimes yes. If it is yes, then I say start sharing out of your devotions. Right? Because now show them. That's how you can start doing the we do. Well, let's share from what, this is what I've been getting. This is, what do you guys think of this? If you aren't doing it, then start working on the I do part. We go step, take a step back. I do. Start growing in your devotions. You're saying, well, I don't know if I can, like, I just don't have the discipline. Then partner with somebody else and do the we do and do it together. Don't overcomplicate it, but you can't, we just can't skip the steps. If, if I want to disciple someone in something, I need to be discipled in it first, is what I'm getting at. That's the whole point. And we're already naturally doing this in many areas. So the we do, this is a great step. Find someone to disciple. You can find anyone. And this could be someone in your cell. Could be a coworker. Could be a child. Could be a friend. Could be a spouse. Uh, could be a family member. Could be a neighbor. Could be a stranger that you met. 
could be anybody. Find someone. And if you're like, I don't know how to pick someone, ask the Lord. Say, Lord, I don't know how to pick someone, but I want to engage in this process. I want to do this with somebody else. So highlight someone and then just wait for him to highlight someone, but be listening and be active and then get out there and you can start doing it. So that is that part there. Grow together, sharing, accountability, practicing together, so on and so forth. You don't have to be the best teacher. That list that I showed you before, we have that resource page. We are passionate about resourcing you and equipping you to have the right tools and teaching so you can just begin working on these steps. I do, we do, and then the last one here is you do. All right? What is you do all about? You do is about the third step. You have been, if you get someone to you do, you have raised up a disciple. You've raised up a disciple. That is what you do is all about. I do it first. Now I do it, and then I, I get someone else, and I do it. We do it together, and I show you, I pass on what I've learned, and now get you to a place where you can do it on your own. You don't need me anymore in that area. And now what I do is I encourage you to go and repeat the process. They know how to do it, and they, they know what to do, they know how to do it, and now they're ready for this one here. They're ready to do steps one and two. Repeat the process. Discipleship is easy if you understand it. I do it, we do it together, you do it. Then you do the same thing. Then you do the I do, the we do, and then they do. And it continues on that way, and we are already, I'm just trying to give words to things that we already do. We're already doing this with people all around us all the time. We're raising up disciples. I'm just advocating that we be intentional on what we are raising disciples of. And let's do it with the Christian formation. I think that's wonderful. And all of this, before you get too box-checky, needs to be done with this heart. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Loads of grace for mistakes and getting it wrong and failing and getting back up. Loads of grace. In fact, the way you get back up can be part of how you disciple others. When you fall flat on your face and you humble yourself and you share, I saw a young lady from our church sharing about her anxiety on Facebook and the steps she's taking, and I thought, bang on, humility. Humility, and others are encouraged by her humility. And then she's raising up disciples even in that and will encourage people to, to share their struggles with someone and receive hope. I thought that's brilliant. But now let's talk about communion, the Lord's Supper. And we're going to take this together. I think this is going to be a really good thing. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? We do this in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. This is one of the most important traditions in our Christian history. Jesus started it and he commands us to follow him in this until the day that we see him face to face. If we forget about the purpose of communion, the body that was broken, the blood that was spilled, everything else we've been talking about in this series becomes about works. Becomes about us. So it's important that we regularly remember. That's what this is about. That we remember why we're doing this, why we're here. I remember. And I want you to think about what do you remember when, when you're looking at this blood that was spilled, what this represents, the body that was broken. What did he save you from? I won't share my whole testimony, but... 
He saved me from a life of drug addiction, drug selling, abuse, sexual immorality. That's what he saved me from. He called me, he said, come just as you are. Told me that I didn't have to change first. He said, I love you just the way you are. If you'll say yes to me, seems too good to be true. That's what I remember every time. I don't want to forget. So what did he save you from? Maybe what is he saving you from? He saved you for salvation, but maybe there's a process right now you're working through and it's hard. I get that. How are you going to have the energy to keep going? Remember, remember why you're doing it. Remember what he did and you can take that next step forward. So we're going to do this together. Put the passage on the scriptures. I want you just to take a moment and close your eyes. After, by the way, take your wafer out. If you don't have your wafer out, clear wrapper. Two parts, clear wrapper, wafer out. There you go. Now close your eyes. Lord, we don't want to take this for granted. We never want to treat the blood of the covenant by which we were sanctified and saved. We never want to treat it as though it's common and unholy. So, Lord, with reverence, with love, with admiration, we partake in communion today. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. your focus on him. Remember, why do we forgive? We've talked lots about that in the last while. Why do we forgive? Because he first forgave us and look at the price he paid so that could happen. That's why we forgive. That's why we love. In the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Can stand with me. We're going to worship to close this service and then I'll pray for you. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com. 